So this morning, we look at Luke 1. We're going to read a, a larger section, uh, verses 26 through 56, uh, because I want to, we're going to talk mostly about, about Mary's song, uh, because it's amazing. Um, but I want to situate it within, within the larger context of what's happening in Mary's life. Um, and then, and then we'll get to the song. Um, so Luke 1, 26 is where we'll start. You'll find the words behind me. If you've got them with you, they'll be on the screen in front of you. Let's, let's pray before we read it. God, thank you again for, uh, for your word, for this book, for, for the scriptures. Um, and for this particular story. We, we say thank you. Uh, we pray that as we read it, that we pray we feel it. That we, we don't just use our minds, but we, we feel it. And through our reading of it, and through our feeling of it, and through our experience of it, come Holy Spirit and speak. We put our trust in you. Amen. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled, or may it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary sang. 
She sang. My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has filled up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Now that got me too. Um, So I was going to do this thing, excuse me, where... um, where I read a bunch of headlines to you from different websites like Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, the whole range. Let's, let's be welcoming to all, right? So the whole range of media outlets. I was going to read to you a bunch of the headlines from, from their home pages, their web pages. And I was going to point out that most of what's uh, considered headline news is, is, um, is not good news. It's like bad news. It's like terrible. Like we were going to read these things and be like, wow, how depressing is that? Then I was going to make the case that, um, that the world just needs some good news. (laughs) Like we we really, does anybody need some good news? Does anybody need some gospel uh, this morning? And then I was going to say something along the lines of, fortunately, we have Mary's song. It was going to be really clever. And all of you were going to think that I was clever, but then, um, no, you were going to think obvious, duh. Um, but I don't have time for any of that because I wrote the rest of the sermon. It's like we got too much to talk about. So I thought I'd just tell you about the idea that I had and then I skipped over. So uh, it would have been clever. So instead of, no, obvious, it would have been obvious. Excuse me. Um, so instead, what we're going to do is we're, we're just going to go through Mary's song. Um, and I wish we had a couple of hours because we could be here for a couple of hours. Um, so well, I'm just going to pull three or four different things out of it, and I want us to, to think about them, um, and because uh, that's my job. Let's think about things. Uh, let's think about things a little bit more deeply, um, and let's, let's maybe challenge ourselves, and let's ask some questions, and this will be a little less entertaining than maybe we want it to be, but it will be really, really good, I think. Um, for us to think about these things. So I'm going to pull some things out and let's talk about why it might be good news uh, for us. The first line is this, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. How might this be good news? Some of them will be more obvious than others, but here's the deal. This is a very young woman, maybe 14 years old, Uh, And she's got a greater, more expansive and mature perspective on reality and the presence of God than I may ever have. And uh, 
All I can do is read it, notice it, marvel at it, and then begin the, the, the hard work of changing my own perspective to maybe gain a little bit more of, of Mary's. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. In her circumstances, what she's going through in life in this moment, and she responds with a song, with singing. And not just any song. It's a song that before it does anything else, just explodes with joy. Joy? Yeah. Joy. And I think this song reminds us that one of the most appropriate responses to God's mysterious, sometimes puzzling presence in our lives is joy. Not the kind of joy that's like, yay, it's my birthday, happy birthday, and you feel all good because you're going to get presents and treat it all well, and it's all joyful. No, it's more of a deep foundational sense of joy, a joy that undergirds your entire life. She responds with joy at God's presence in her life. Not fear, as some of us have been taught. Not guilt, as some of us have been taught. Not obligation, as some of us have been taught. Not, not this sense that we'll never, ever, ever measure up, as some of us have been taught, but joy. She responds with joy. There's something at the heart of the Christmas story that is foundational and fundamentally joyous. Just think about the rest of the story. So we'll put this in the context of the greater story that Luke is telling here, right? When the angel appears to Zechariah, John the Baptist, daddy, the angel says that the boy will be a joy and a delight and that people will rejoice at his birth. Joy. When Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, Elizabeth's unborn baby does what? Leaps for joy, right? When the angels appear to the, and, and freak out the shepherds as they're watching their flocks by night, what do they announce? They announce that they've got good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Mary sings, my, my, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. You know how astonishing this is? Think about how astonishing this is. Think about her circumstances. Think about how extraordinary and mature and amazing this perspective is. She's a poor little nobody girl living under imperial rule. She's living in occupied territory. She's not married, and yet she's pregnant, and she lives in a world, a culture, that considers someone in her circumstances, considers it appropriate to stone her to death. At this point in the story, we have no idea whether or not Joseph, she has no idea whether or not Joseph is going to stick up for her or stay by her side. Her life, in a very real sense, is in danger. In fact, she may have run to Elizabeth's house because she was afraid and felt threatened in her own hometown. She's like, I got to get out of here. And yet, she sings for joy. What about her perspective would lead her to sing for joy, to feel this deep foundational sense of joy? 
Well, at this point, it's all conjecture. At this point, we're guessing. There's room for interpretation here. It's why Luke wrote the story the way he wrote it. So we're guessing, but maybe. Maybe it's, it's her fundamental trust in the goodness of God. Maybe it's, her, maybe it's her expansive imagination that leaves room for her to see her own life as, as worth rejoicing about. In spite of everything, she has the audacity to believe that what's happening to her isn't tragedy and it isn't meaningless. She doesn't give in to the stories that people are going to tell about her stories of shame, stories of sinfulness. Instead, she chooses to believe and live into the idea that, that her life is filled with the presence and power of a God who is on her side and who acts generously toward her and through her. Oh. And if that's true for her, might it to be true for us? And if it is true for us, that'd be some pretty good news. Don't you think? What would it be like for us to frame our own lives in this way? That our lives are filled with the power and presence of a God who is on our side and who acts generously toward us and who acts generously through us. What would it be like for us to look for the divine presence in the intimate details of our everyday life? What would it look like to have this fundamental trust in the absolute goodness of God all the time? Always. I might be wrong, but I think maybe we might just walk around in this world filled with a, with a little more joy in our lives. I like that. Here's the next line. For he's been mindful of, or he has looked with favor on, the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. How might this be good news? Let, let me ask some other questions. Do you ever think about God looking at you? Do you ever think about God watching you? Do you ever think about God considering you? If you do, then how do you imagine God looks at you? How do you imagine God sees you? I think this is so important. Is God looking at you a scary thing? Do you imagine God's eyes as cold? Do you imagine God's eyes as judgmental, like God is just up there somewhere looking down on you, waiting for you to, to mess things up so God can figure out which place to send you? Or, or do you imagine God's eyes as, as patient, eternally patient? warm, inviting, welcoming, just filled with more grace and love than you could ever imagine. I love it, and I think it's amazing that Mary's experience of God's 
of God looking at her, of God really seeing her, is wonderful. When God looks at her, she seems to be filled up and lifted up. Blessed, she calls it. She doesn't feel small or diminished or frightened. In fact, it's just the opposite. She seems to be filled with this sort of confidence, deep confidence, because she knows in the deepest parts of herself that she is absolutely loved fully. But notice, it's not because she's awesome. It's not because she's done great things, because she's some amazing person. It's because of her humble state that God favors her that she feels favor. God sees all of it. God sees her poverty. God sees her simplicity. God sees her lack and favors her still. Mm, accepts her for who she is. Come on. That's good news. Because if it's true for her, it, it might just be true for you and me as well. Which brings me to the next line I want to talk about. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's, he's brought down rulers from their thrones. He scatters the proud. He lifts up the humble, really? Because at this point, it's tempting for us to look around at the world and think to ourselves, that isn't the way the world works. Come on. Like we look at the world and we see. We see it. We live in a world where we've got big computer giants. We've got large, you know, media corporations, ginormous oil companies. We've got huge banks that are too big to fail still. We live in a world where bigger is always better, and the smaller you are, the smaller you're probably going to get. And this is exactly what makes Mary's song so disturbing and threatening and ultimately so very good. God brings down the proud, lifts up the humble. Turns out God is way less concerned about big, powerful people lining their pockets and more concerned about the good of all people. God scatters the proud, lifts up the humble. Now to some, that's a disturbing and threatening thing to hear. You know, fortunately for us, we're among the few in the world that can count ourselves as really humble. <laughs> Thank you for getting that joke. But here's the deal. Most of us like to think that we have it all together. Like, that, like we know what we're doing in life. We know what next steps to take. We feel reasonably good about the direction of our lives. And we're just going to make things happen. We know what's due, so let's make things happen. But I have a hunch that, that most of us don't really all have it all together, at least not completely. I mean, I've stood up in front of you and said, I don't know what I'm doing anymore after 19 years of being a, being a pastor. Like... Things have changed, things have happened, and it's like, what's next? I don't know. Let's figure it out. We're going to figure it out. I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, most of us aren't as put together as the image we pro project to the world. Probably not even as put together as the image we project to ourselves, about ourselves. Some of us in this room are deeply afraid because 
because we don't feel as financially secure as we'd like to feel. Some of us are deeply afraid because we don't know what's going to happen with our health in the next weeks, months, or years, or we don't know what's going to happen with the health of people we love in the next few months, weeks, or years. Some of us in this room are are deeply afraid because we have an important relationship that isn't making it, it's not working out, or at least it's not what it could be or, or should be. Some of us are afraid because, because we feel alone. Some of us are afraid because we have questions and doubts and we don't know what to believe anymore. Some of us are afraid because there's something underneath the surface in our lives. And in some cases, we don't know exactly what it is. And in some cases, we know exactly what it is. And it's threatening to tear our lives apart. And most of us in this room are too proud to go to the two, three, four closest people in our lives and ask for help. I need help. I'm really struggling here and I can't get through this on my own. But maybe that's exactly the place we need to go because God lifts up the humble. And when God sees people humbling themselves, I think God's there ready to lift them up. I think God's there ready to, ready to save, ready to rescue, ready to, ready to make whole again. That's some pretty good news, don't you think? Okay, last thing. I think... Let's just think for a moment how amazing it is that God chose Mary at all. Like, it's amazing because it's, it's, it's a subversive choice. It's an underneath the choice. It's an underneath the surface choice. Right? To subvert something is to overthrow it indirectly. Right? We're talking about flipping something on its head from underneath the surface. Right? God chose Mary to bear his son. God could have chosen any number of Caesars or some other politically well-connected, powerful family, but God didn't. God chose a poor 14-year-old girl from nowhere, Nazareth. Nazareth is a small town of maybe 100 to 200 people with a bad reputation. Did you know that? It's got a bad reputation. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. People once used to say, Mary, she's a subversive choice. God didn't choose the the powerful, politically well-connected family to change the world forever. Nope, God chose a no one. And without the humble heart and willing spirit of a 14-year-old girl, who knows what this world would look like now? Think of it. She could have said no, you know. God wasn't going to force it. She could have said no, but she said, yes, may it be to me as you have said. And because of that, the world has never been the same. There's something subversive about Christmas. Even our secular Christmas stories are kind of inspired by the original subversive Christmas story. Think about Rudolph. You got this tiny little reindeer with a defective nose who can't get in on any of the reindeer games because they're like, see ya. 
you're weird with that nose, right? And then all of a sudden, a fog rolls in. Like, what shot does this little guy have at, make, at making Santa's A-team? No, none, zero. And then a fog rolls in, and his defective nose becomes an asset, and he, and he winds up being out front, leading the whole lot of them. It's a subversive story. Flipping something on its head from underneath. Think about the Grinch, who literally stole Christmas, all of it. Trees, lights, presents, stockings, everything else. Stole it all. But then on Christmas morning, the citizens of Whoville wake up and they sing their joyful song anyway. And before you know it, the Grinch we all love to hate is down there in Whoville. He's eating roast beast. His heart is growing and he's having a grand old time. Subversive. Underneath the surface. Everything taken away, they still sing for joy. God's choice of Mary is subversive. And that reality ought to give us some some hope and some vision because the great truth of God's subversive choice of Mary is that God uses the small to lead the big and the weak to change the world. Come on. Even Jesus talked about this later on when he was all grown up. He talked about the kingdom of God. He talked about tiny mustard seeds and unseen yeast doing its work in the dough. He talked about small cups of cold water. And that gets me thinking about each of you. Maybe God has something in store for your little life. Maybe you can make a greater impact in someone else's life. Is God asking you to do something? Have you asked God about it lately? Now, what are you calling me to do? Show me the person in my life you'd like me to come alongside of and be what they need for a season. That has me thinking about all of us together. Maybe you and me and all of us together can, in this small little church, maybe we can change the world after all. Or maybe not change the world. Not get delusions of grandeur here. But maybe we can change, maybe we can change our little corner. Maybe we can continue to create a safe place for people to come and question and wonder and think and and maybe change their mind about a few things and experience the love and grace and healing and forgiveness of God like they've never experienced before. God chose insignificant Mary. Do you think you're a nobody? Do you think you're too small? Do you think you're too young? Do you think you're too old? Do you think you're too weird? Do you think you're too queer? Do you think you're too odd? Do we think we're too small and weird? Well, then great. Because you're just the kind of person that God seems to be looking for. 
And I think that seems to be pretty good news. Let's pray.